1: Welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon.
0: And I'm McKellie.
1: Thank you for joining us for episode 134 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 60 of A Clash of Kings, that's Sansa 6.
0: And as always, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way.
1: We will summarize what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll have some additional information about the characters and geography of this chapter. How are you, Michele?
0: I'm doing just fine. Happy St. Patty's Day to you, my friend.
1: Oh, it is, yes. I see you're wearing green.
0: I am. It's got a very faded um, four-leaf clover on there. Oh, oh yeah. Probably... Okay, can't make that out very well it's on my years phone old.
1: it's too faded yes but...
0: <laughs> can um, can i just say before we get started can, can we just rehash the um email conversation we had at uh, work this past week <laughs> <laughs> so
1: it's not it, I, I didn't think it was that funny I, I actually felt bad about what i said so you sent me an email yes. i ignored it because i'm busy at work you sent me a follow-up email the next day actually you 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 were looking for an answer you sent me a follow-up email Say, and I read that one it said do you have any thoughts on this? so I then read the first email and I then responded to you and I said I saw the email was from you and I just assumed you'd be wasting my time so I didn't read it I, mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> I laughed
0: so hard about that <laughs>
1: To me, that doesn't paint me in a very good picture. I'm glad you laughed. I told Carson you laughed a lot at it, and I was like, I felt bad for saying it.
0: Uh, it it's it the brew perfect, of truth. That's the that is the yeah. funny part. It was a
1: perfectly legitimate question, but I just didn't bother to read it because I was like, oh, McKelly. <laughs>
0: Oh, this has got to be a waste of time. <laughs> uh, I I hate to admit that you're probably not the only person in my life that uh, feels that way when they get a correspondence from me, in any but variety. In,
1: in my defense, I get more waste of time emails from you than most of the people who are ignoring you. Otherwise, That's they should true. be paying attention to you. You're actually working with them.
0: <laughs> oh, we we, stuff.
1: we I, I should say. Our work lives don't intersect that much. I mean, I mean they intersect, but not that right. much. It is kind of unusual for you to you and I to have a work conversation.
0: Is that's true? It happens. It yeah. uh, you're right. It doesn't happen a great deal these days, yeah. anyway.
1: And and to be to be clear to our listeners, I don't think of Ghosts of Harrenhal as a waste of time. It's just when I'm at work, I'm kind of busy, and so you know, I put even <laughs> things from McKellie just get pushed to the back. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but it was work work and I, I do apologize for ignoring you for, for screening your calls.
0: <laughs> oh so uh you sound a little under the weather possibly. I am under the weather, yes. So
1: so uh the schools have stopped mandating wearing masks and within two days Lucas came home with a cold. Uh
0: huh uh uh-huh.
1: and we gave him a COVID test and he was negative, so it's just a cold. But he's eighteen now, so it's now it's now it's a man cold. It can really Right. could be quite debilitating. But So he's doing all this histrionic sort of coughing and nose blowing all the time. And I'm I am treating him like a leper. I am keeping him at <laughs> arm's length because I don't want any of this. And then the other morning I get up and I notice that my toothbrush is not where I left it. Huh. And so later that day, I checked with him. I said, "I said, Lucas, what color is your toothbrush?" And he said, "Orange." I was like, "No, nope, that's my toothbrush." Oh, the no. whole time he'd been using my <laughs> toothbrush. Meanwhile,
0: you're treating him like he's <laughs> <laughs>
1: whilst sticking his toothbrush in my mouth, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, both revolting and a guaranteed way to catch a cold. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so. You- <laughs> You're like uh, staying across the room from him. I know. <laughs> I mean, wow. he's—you guys are sharing an object that you insert into your mouths. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yes, so so all of the all of the lack of sympathy I showed him over his cold is now coming back to haunt me because I'm getting right. no
0: <laughs> no <laughs> kindness.
1: So oh, my other wow. bit of news is, so I, I I think we've, I know I've told you, but I, I think we've recorded it on the podcast that my little sister um keeps popping up on uh the yes. soccer, well, me and my brother watch my soccer team on a live feed and we keep seeing right. my sister at every game because she keeps going to every game. Well, she went and she took a new step. So the, the previous time. She was just—that's right. She was just giving the referee and the goalkeeper right. a, a, an earful. Yes. This time, a, a player for the other team got fouled right in front of her, and she—I mean, my sister just she she loves to go to soccer and she loves to shout at people. So this is, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good uh, it's a good frustration release for oh, her. Oh <laughs> yeah,
1: she is pointing. She's effing and, and she's on the side where the substitutes warm up. So the other team's substitutes were warming up in front of her and she gets into it with one of these players.
0: And <laughs> You're watching
1: this? I'm watching this, and she's like you know, they're mouthing back and forth. And he goes back to the dugout to sit probably presumably to cry and considering <laughs> yeah, <eye right>. <laughs> But then the referee goes to the dugout and starts telling this player off for getting involved with the fans. And then a police presence starts forming behind my sister, like they're gonna drag her out of there. It's oh me and my brother are cracking up.
0: You're watching this live. Like you're watching, watching this phone. We're,
1: we're texting her. We're like, there are cops behind you
0: now. <laughs> oh, that's got to be more entertaining than the actual game. She, because it was along the
1: sideline from her, she couldn't tell who the ref was telling off. We were like, oh, no, it's the guy. It's the guy you were talking to.
0: <laughs> You've got the right guy.
1: <laughs> so we, we keep think her involvement in these games keeps amping up. I right. expect by the end of the season she'll be scoring the winner. You know. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, that's good. Uh,
1: we have laughed about that.
0: Uh, yes, I'm sure.
1: All right, we should get down to business.
0: Yes, we should.
1: How do we leave Miss Sansa Stark? Last time we saw Sansa, which was only three chapters ago, it really varies what you get from Sansa. I think we had a 20-chapter uh-huh. break without her, and then right. we got, went down to six, and now it's just three. Um,
0: she maybe was wondering maybe re- next will be back-to-back. Back. It could be.
1: She was wandering the Red Keep as the battle geared up, and she was wishing Tyrion and Joffrey luck, more or less sincerely.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: She was praying to the gods, and then shooting the breeze with Cersei, while being watched over by Sir Ilyn Payne. Mm Michele, why don't we give them the summary of this one?
0: All right. While the battle rages beyond the city walls, Sansa dines with the women and children in Magor's Holdfest. On the surface, the atmosphere is festive, with a great feast, singing, and comedy from the fools. But underneath, there's a darkness created by fear over the battle. As Sansa seated next to Queen Cersei, uh, she gets the inside scoop on the tidings from the front lines via two of the three Kettleblack brothers.
1: The reports take them through the opposing fleets meeting in battle, the wildfire setting the river aflame, King Joffrey playing with the Antlermen, and Tyrion leading the sortie to clear the enemy from the king's gate. They also hear of unrest from within the city, break-ins, servants attempting to flee, and wealthy merchants at the castle gate looking for refuge.
0: Cersei is in full defense mode. Her orders in response? Shoe away the merchants at the gate. If they won't leave, kill a few with some crossbow bolts. But the gates stay locked. Censor Ilion to remove the heads of the traitorous servants and mount those heads as a warning. The news of Tyrion leading the sortie certainly doesn't lift her spirits any. When news of the mud gate also being under attack reaches her, she commands that Joff be brought back inside Magor's holdfast.
1: All the while, the queen is getting more and more inebriated. She takes to explaining her theories on life as a high born woman to Sansa. In her eyes, a woman's most powerful weapons are tears and sexuality, as opposed to a man's sword. She goes on to explain how much she hates this flock of frightened hens she's stuck with in this room. They're only here because their men are important for one reason or another. They themselves are useless.
0: Sansa asks what Cersei will do if the castle falls. If she's not betrayed by her own sellsword guard, and Magors holdfast holds out, she'll yield to Stannis in person. But if the castle should fall before Stannis arrives, the women within are in for a rough time. Cersei would love to pick up a sword and fight, but that's not her lot in life. She's reminded of when she and Jaime were little and nearly indistinguishable. Despite their physical similarities, their treatment was a world apart. Jaime was taught to fight with sword and lance, whereas Cersei learned to smile, sing, and please. As an adult, little has changed. Despite her power as Queen Regent, she's helpless in the battle as every other woman in King's Landing.
1: Cersei then accuses Sansa of committing treason in the godswood. It's all Sansa can do to not glance over at Sodontus, who's one of the fools who's entertaining them. But it's not what Sansa feared. The Queen means that she prays to the old gods for a Lannister defeat. Sansa denies, but Cersei's not fooled. Cersei, well, I suppose on some level she is fooled, She's fooled about what was going on in the Godswood, but not right.
0: about, <laughs> <laughs> not about asks, the praying part. <laughs>
1: right? Cersei asks Sansa if she wants to know why Cersei is truly in the room. She calls the headsman over to explain himself, but all that comes from his mouth is a choking rattle. So the Queen translates, he's here for us. She does not mean for Stannis to take her alive, nor does she plan for Sansa to survive. The Starks will have no joy from the fall of House Lannister. But they will have tears, is what she means. I mean, I think they'll still get some joy from the fall of House Lannister, even if Sansa goes too, you know. Right. Bittersweet. <laughs> they, they've lost Sansa already on many levels, you know. So <laughs> right. Not getting her yeah. back would be, would be tragic, but, you
0: know. There'll still be um, a, I will, some joy, though.
1: Yes. I will say, I think... Of all the chapters we've done, this is George Martin throwing down the gauntlet to us to come up with a lot to talk about in this chapter, because it is short <laughs> and nothing happens.
0: It's a recap <laughs> of
1: what we already knew.
0: You know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a, it's basically a secondhand battle report of the battles we've already seen, you know? It's right. Pretty much uh the last three chapters actually have been retelling the same events from different perspectives. Not only from both sides, we've got Davos on one side and Tyrion on the other, but then we have this semi-neutral Sansa kind of, you know, here as well. And so, but there's also from, you can also get it from the perspective of, of like the commander, Tyrion, you know, he's kind of in charge of the larger landscape of the Lannister side of the war. You get it from the soldier, Davos, and uh, now we get it from... Sansa, the bystander, or I don't know if you call her a bystander or not, but she's not exactly able yeah. to to do a whole lot to help the cause of the 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 war effort here. We actually had a discussion on the the Discord server this past week because this the episode that came out this week that we recorded last week is the Tyrion POV, and uh, we were discussing uh, which was the prefer- preferred POV during this battle. Tyrion or Davos. And uh, primarily, people were choosing Tyrion. And and to sum it up, mostly due to his mobility and decision making power, giving him more impact on the story.
1: Also, his vantage point from atop the Merlin, atop the battlements.
0: (laughs) Atop the box, atop
1: the Merlin, on the battlements.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Davis was pretty much along for the ride, um, and observing firsthand. But he wasn't; made, he, there was a, there was very little he could do to affect the outcome of that yeah, battle. Yeah, yeah. There, although he is a very relatable character, yeah. but you know, here we get a third POV option. Sansa neither impacts the outcome, aside from possibly the power of prayer, <laughs> nor is she even witnessing it. So. Um, Hey, you know. if
1: we're going to believe in magic, we're going to believe in the power of prayer. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Hey. If you pl- if you pray to Relor correctly, all <laughs> kinds <laughs> of things happen. You know?
0: <laughs> she could be birthing a, a shadow exactly. assassin herself. <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, <laughs> I will say, I, I actually think the Sansa chapters are partly here just to just for Cersei's mindset because it's kind of like you know Sansa. Is just a sort of vessel for hearing the things she hears. And right. the summary of the battle, we already knew. We didn't really need that. So all we're really getting is is Cersei's sort of inner turmoil over this. And she's clearly freaked out by the whole thing.
0: Yes, very much. In fact, as you say that, it's probably the closest thing that we've gotten by far of, of an actual POV chapter of Cersei.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which of co- and of course she's under terrific duress. I mean, it may be if we had POV chapters of C- of Cersei, all we'd get is her sort of regal calm and you know sailing through all the troubles. But this particular one, she's uh, drinking and scared,
0: right? <laughs> yes, it might be. Uh, might not be her normal mindset today, I guess. Yeah, but she's getting S- uh, Cersei and Sansa through Cersei is getting. A regular updates on the the state of the battle through two of the Kel- kettleblack brothers, Osni and Osfred. And Sansa mentions, well you know, she, she notices that Osni has four th- four thin scratches on his cheek. And those scratches are the ones that Aliya gave him oh, when right. they took her from Chataya's brothel. I saw
1: that in the notes and I was like, what does that mean? Why is he
0: talking about this? (laughs) I only brought it up because Sansa pointed it out. So if anybody was wondering why is she pointing out that he's got four four thin scratches on his face, that's why.
1: So the city, law and order is breaking down in the city. Drunkards are smashing doors, climbing through windows. Uh, The gold cloaks, of course, are occupied in defense of the city. So uh, the breaking and entering and general looting has has broken out. I will say, given the general state of the city, I can't imagine there's an awful lot to be gained from this. I mean, there's people... Not many people have
0: many things. (laughs) All
1: their worldly goods for food at this point, so... (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, certainly not great timing for uh such looting but i guess you know when the when the cats are away the mice will play i will say the
1: nature of looting is that this is a great time for looting in fact it's the only time really you would loot you know <laughs> while everything's you know on a pleasant sunday afternoon that's not the time to go <laughs> not <looting>. the time <laughs> yes good point good point <laughs> so uh Within the hall where Cersei and Sansa are, the the young bride of one of Sir Lancel's knights is weeping uh, and probably probably annoying. I mean, I, it, it's a sort of strange scene of sort of like the food and the sort of like the, the entertainment that's being laid on sort of juxtaposed against the way that some of the women are behaving. I mean, some are enjoying themselves, but those who've got uh, husbands fighting, in a, you know, or are... Similar in mindset to Cersei about what's about to happen, right? Uh, yeah, uh, finding it hard to get distracted,
0: right? And so, we had talked last chapter about what Sir Lancel was up to, and um, it seems that he's leading men in some capacity here. And so, back in I think it was Tyrion 10, when he told Tyrion about Lord Giles Rosby sneaking Tommen back to Rosby yeah when he told him that he he mentioned that he had asked for his own command in this battle kind of as a hey I'm doing you all these I'm giving you all this information I would like in return to be given a command in this battle so it seems like he was granted that
1: right I I would grant Lancelot kind of wish (laughs)
0: right got a death wish alright sure
1: knock yourself out although he's kind of useful
0: though he's he's useful to uh, true Tyrion alive getting this info from Cersei
1: given all of Tyrion's maneuvering he doesn't need him anymore he's got the kettle blacks you know I mean he's
0: true yeah
1: (laughs) um So Cersei says that she would sooner face any number of swords than sit helpless like this, pretending to enjoy the company of this flock of frightened hens. And I think that goes to her problem here. It's not just that she's scared, not just that she's drunk. She is a woman of power, influence, and and action. And she wants to be doing something. She wants to, you know, she's itching to have a sword in her hand. She's never been trained for it. She wouldn't actually be much use at it. But given that she is that kind of alpha personality... To sit and wait for others to determine her fate must be terribly frustrating. You know?
0: Absolutely, yeah. You can see in this chapter especially, you can see how aware and angry she is about the roles of men and women here in, in their society. And later in this chapter, she tells of this story of, like we mentioned in the summary of how she and Jamie are so alike, but yet treated so differently that, you know... Basically, despite being two halves of the same person, um, you know, they they were treated uh, just like night and day here. Yeah, apart from uh, Tywin,
1: apparently, who couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> <laughs> he was often giving her a sword by mistake.
0: <laughs> but she seems to hold the women as responsible for it as the men. She She has this line in, in this chapter. She says... uh, Tears are a woman's weapon, my lady mother used to call them. A man's weapon is a sword, and that tells us all you need to know, doesn't it? So, you know, it feels like she's blaming her mother almost as much as her father for allowing her to be raised with nothing but uh, her tears and her feminine wiles as a weapon. Yeah, it it is an interesting philosophical
1: point because because the – there is definitely blame being given to the women for the way they behave, whilst simultaneously she recognizes the fact that it's the patriarchal society that's confined them like this. So, so right. the question is, is if you ask Cersei a direct question, you uh, do women have the same capabilities as men? It's not clear what she would say. I mean, yes, she sees herself as the equal of any man, and she is. Yeah. But then she looks right. around her and sees these crying women, and she's like, well, they're pathetic, you know. But she's in the same room as them because of what society has dictated she can do. Yes. And maybe they yes. are too. Maybe that's the reason they're there. If society wasn't like that, maybe they'd be out there fighting. And maybe they're crying out of frustration, not out of fear, just in the yeah. same
0: way she is. Certainly, Brienne of Tarth has proved that women uh, right. are <laughs> right. capable fighters. Right. right. But, it, you know, in this chapter, Cersei almost comes off as both a man hater and a woman hater but for their opposite roles and the same restraints that hold her back from being who she feels she could be if just given the opportunity she to to do so she she mentions that Jamie was heir to Casterly Rock and um she was to be sold like some uh, to some stranger like a horse so yeah but, but, you know, thinking about that, knowing that she thinks that way, it must have made it all the harder to send Marcella away like she did to be betrothed to Tristan Martel.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that, that's a layer of that that I hadn't thought of. I thought, I thought her anger there was just like, you know, not being able to see her child anymore and Tyrion getting his way. But perhaps that the fact that her daughters now suffered the same fate
0: she did. Right. She's how, just... As she's watching her sail away, she probably has visions of her betrothal to Robert running right, through her head, right. and how yeah. disastrously that's gone. Yeah.
1: yeah, she seems she seems afraid that the 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 women in the room with her might be a reflection of what she is and how she's seen by others. Uh, which is right. yes, which is she says of themselves the hens are nothing but their cocks are important for one reason or another that's the reason the only reason they're in that room the only reason they're not outside the walls with the people trying to get in is because of who they're married to they are themselves nothing but and 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 that you see there's a couple of layers of that not only is she sort of like blaming them for the same patriarchal blaming them for being pathetic in the patriarchal system that made them pathetic. But she's also terrified that it makes others see her that way, which is, yes. which sort of goes to. And we've talked before about how she doesn't care about PR. I mean, she does things, she does heinous things all the time and doesn't care right. what people think. But on this, she cares what people think, you know?
0: Yes, right, right, right. And, <laughs> you know, as we're talking about it, on one hand, you'd think maybe she'd be the perfect champion for women's rights in Westeros. She's the queen regent of the seven kingdoms, but you don't see her doing a lot to raise other women up. She just wants the rights for herself. You know, she wants to be treated like a man. Like she told, uh, Robert in that chapter where Ned, after Ned woke up from his coma, when he broke his leg, maybe you should wear the skirt and I, and me, the armor. So, you know, she she wants to be treated like a man. She's I'm tough like a man, but you don't see her doing much to make any kind of change yeah. on the grander scale for women.
1: No, not to get too political, and this will sort of shade into too political perhaps, but a, a real life similarity there might be with Margaret Thatcher. Because Margaret Thatcher, uh, you know, you'd think. Britain's first prime minister, female prime minister, would be a great moment in sort of women's you know, liberation and women's rights. But she did very little. She she herself, her entire cabinet was male. You know, everyone she surrounded herself was male. She did not huh. help any women sort of move up the ladder, she didn't enact any laws to help women or anything like that. Um, so I, I can sort of see a parallel there with Cersei, you know, sort sure. of like, yeah. I've achieved what I've achieved. You all can take care of yourselves, you know, but... But Cersei has achieved what she's achieved, despite the patriarchal society, and what she's achieved is is exactly what she was born to—to to be married right. after someone, you know, and right, to right, give right. birth to the next king, you know. But uh, but not caring about the other women is kind of like a similarity. I mean, I mean I'm sure people have different views on Margaret Thatcher, but uh, I can see I can see parallels there.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, Sansa Sansa asks. Uh, And if the castle should fall and Cersei says, you would like that, wouldn't you? (laughs) So (laughs) I
1: I think given how drunk Cersei's become, I think Sansa should really sort of go for this. She'd be like, "Uh
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I've been praying for that. (laughs) Not with, not with Sedontis, just on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Just on my own. (laughs) But again, uh, you know, I, again, like you just said, who knows how much of, what Cersei's saying has to do with how heavily she's drinking here in this chapter. So some of the things don't some of the things kind of contradict one another. Because Cersei knows how Sansa's been treated. I mean, she watched Joff. She she was there while Sansa watched Joff behead her father. Yep. And just like Tyrion in the last Sansa chapter, they're both aware that Sansa's likely rooting for a Lannister defeat. Yeah. But at the end of the chapter, uh, Cersei accuses Sansa of treason for praying for Lannister defeat. And um uh, Sansa says, I pray for Joffrey, and Cersei says, Why? Because he treats you so sweetly? So she she is fully aware of the mistreatment that uh you know Joffrey has for uh gives to Sansa. So how could she possibly blame her for rooting against Joffrey and his family?
1: Yeah, it it feels like as treasons go, hoping your tormentors go away is not that (laughs) big of a treason. (laughs) Yes, she's... And and totally forgivable, too. You know, I mean, like, you wouldn't even hold it against him. Like, yeah, you're a young girl being terrorized. I understand you want that to stop.
0: And I think Tyrion basically was was saying that in the last chapter when he said i'm not going to ask who you're praying for but uh, uh cersei here spells it out there's no way that you're praying for anything positive for joffrey because i know he treats you terribly we'll be right back hello friends are you ready to make some unforgettable memories well if so consider the marriott bonvoy program Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes.
1: So on the subject of the city falling, Cersei says that if she's not betrayed by her own guard, that maybe she can hold out here in the Red Keep. Uh, The Red Keep and Magos Holdfast, tell me the difference and similarity. Red Keep is is
0: the larger castle. Magos Holdfast is the castle within the castle. Yeah. Uh,
1: And then from there, she could yield to Stannis. Uh, If the Holdfast falls before Stannis comes up there, then they're in for some rape, torture, and murder. So, uh, she's probably right. I mean, this seems to be the way wars are fought here. That the the men, once they win, they sort of you know get to the raping. It, right. She's hoping that if they can retreat and Stannis comes to the walls, then she can give herself up and receive better treatment. Right. Although, ultimately, not
0: necessarily a different <laughs> <No>. outcome. <laughs> yes. If Stannis wins, I don't think there's a rosy outcome for her, right. regardless of how it right. goes down. But the guard loyalty is kind of an important point here because, like Sansa mentioned uh, or observed, and I believe Cersei commented on last Sansa chapter, so many of the current gold cloaks and the new Lannister guard are cell swords that would fall into Tyrion's um, if they break, they'll break bad mantra that he kept repeating to himself that uh, yep, Lord yep. Jocelyn Bywater told him. Yeah, so you know, even her captain of the Lannister guard, her new captain, which is uh, Osford Kettleblack, is supposedly in, Tyr- uh, in Tyrion's pocket. So,
1: yeah, but of course, I mean, I mean, their loyalty to Tyrion in this situation transposes to loyalty to Cersei. I mean, they're 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 going in to protect this. Cersei. You know, it's not right. like Tyrion's going to betray her. Um, are they holed up in Magos Holdfast now? Yes. Oh they are. They're already inside Megos. It's not like they're planning to yeah, retreat themselves, yeah. That would, that wouldn't make right. a lot of sense. But then it's already sealed up. I mean it feels like to me you could hold I mean, you could hold out. It's the only reason that they wouldn't hold out and that they would turn is if they came to the gates and threatened them. If you don't open the gates now, we're gonna kill everybody inside.
0: And then but, the sellswords might be like, okay.
1: Yes, but on the flip side, they might be like, no, we're going to hold out and see how that goes.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. You'd have to... Th- I mean, they don't know Stannis from A Hill of Beans, likely. These right. are just sell swords. But us knowing Stannis, I, I, he seems like he would want as little discord as possible when he comes into the city. So if there are Lannister guards that are willing to throw down their swords when he gets there, he will uh forgive them you know he he will yeah. uh, let them pass in peace or come to his side or whatever right but she also suggests like like you said there she suggests yielding to stannis but then later at the end of the chapter she reveals that stannis won't take her alive so uh you know it's it, i'm unsure if whether all this point all these things she was saying uh when cersei told sansa you know, work on those tears of yours there. You're going to need them for Lord Stannis and things like this. Like I could, uh, I could turn myself over, yield to Stannis and, you know, get a, get us all a lighter sentence. And then at the end of the chapter, she's like, oh, actually, I'm planning on killing both of us before he ever gets here. So I don't know if she's just up to that point. She's trying to sugarcoat it a little bit for Sansa. And at the end, she's like, you know what? I've been lying to you the whole time we're both, I'm going to have us both killed or if she's just inebriated and kind of I I think there's definitely
1: definitely a little bit of the inebriation talking, but because I still think there's a possibility that she still, she has ill in pain there in case the barbarians come to the door, the barbarians come to the door, then maybe ill in pain is the better option. But if Stannis comes to the door and says, you know, yield now and I'll show mercy. I, I mean, I choose that. I don't know what his mercy will look like, but I choose that over Sir Ilian Payne
0: Yes, and I think that's probably true. The only line that makes me question whether she'd do that or not is when she says, "He can, he might take the castle, but I won't have him judge me."
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that that was me being me, being me not right. me being Cersei. Unfortunately, he <laughs> <laughs> could judge me. Just don't chop my
0: head off. <laughs> right. <laughs> Send me to the and, wall. <laughs> and,
1: the other advantage that Ilin Payne gives her, of course, is that she can take Sansa with her. You know. Right. And I can certainly see Cersei being sort of like having having that scorched earth idea in yes. her head. Like, if I go down, yes. I'm going to take Sansa with me and make more trouble for the kingdom.
0: Yep, I had that same thought. But
1: you could do that without then following in her footsteps. You're <laughs> like, all right, chop <laughs> her head off. I
0: yield. So, Sansa, goes, Sansa goes first. Now uh, I've seen
1: it. It looked terrible. I'll yield.
0: <laughs> when she sees all the blood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, heck no. <laughs> I'll take my chances with seducing Stannis or his horse. <laughs> so she goes on. S- Cersei, she's really on a roll here. And she goes on to talk about how um, the bird. So, she tells Sansa that, yeah, if the Maegor's hold Holdfast falls, we're probably in for uh, rape, torture, murder. Um, and, and then she, Sansa is kind of shocked because she's young and still quite naive. And she's like, but we are all women and children, gently born. And uh, Cersei says, birth protects highborn women some, but soldiers want flesh more than coin after a battle. But still, the golden shield is better than what women outside the castle face.
1: Yeah, at this point, she mentions um, that pretty things like the serving wench of Lady Tanders is in for a lively night. And that's Shea she's referring to. Right. And I, I noticed that you put in the notes, it was oddly out of character for for Cersei to even notice a servant. Right. I, I put it down to the fact that Shea is very striking, you know.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good point. Good point. She could be striking to the point that even Cersei would notice her right. as a serving right. wench or whatever she. Calls I mean, there is like
1: a hundred women in this room. You know, you're, you're going to see all their faces, even the ones who are just handmaidens. You know, you might be like, oh, right, that was a pretty one. Right. <laughs> pretty. <laughs> She's in for a bad night. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, that also goes to the to the whole. You know, she she just doesn't care about these women she she seems to care about the position of women in society but not the position of the women in right society. that's a good way to put it yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes well put <laughs> that's what i've been trying to figure out how to say yes that's exactly right <laughs> she also says that um if it were anyone else coming to the city any other leader any other man uh, leading an army into king's landing She might hope to beguile him, but as this is Stannis Baratheon, she has a better chance of seducing his horse, and Sansa is apparently shocked because Cersei says, oh, don't look so naive, Sansa. Tears aren't a woman's only weapon. And, I I mean, yes, I believe she is correct about Stannis. He is not the man for that.
1: No, he's not going to be seduced by Cersei, but he might. Right. He might show her some mercy, you know.
0: Maybe he, she, she did trick his brother into believing that those three children were his, and try to cut him out of his uh, crown. So, right, she might not I, have a ton of, uh, he might not have a ton of. He uh, might not have a ton of empathy uh, for her.
1: Okay, you're right. I'm just going to take the opposite position, just for the sake of discussion. If she would come out and say, "I admit it." three children are Jamie Lannister's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did this, please forgive me, he might let her go back to Castle Rock and take the three children with him. I mean, like, if you, you say that publicly, so everyone knows it, so those children have no zero-zero claim to the throne, they could all huh. live. They could all go off and live happily ever after. But if Gosh. you don't say that publicly, then there'll always be a chance that they were the legitimate royal family.
0: Yes, I don't if you think don't it's come out like and publicly say that. Right. I just wonder if Stannis would really really consider sparing them even after that
1: yeah but he wasn't that fond of Robert so it's not like I mean some brothers would have the f- want revenge on her true and Stannis doesn't, true. never yep, cared about true. Robert
0: but yeah everything everything uh, Cersei says is true about what might happen if Maegor's, uh hold fast falls she might be Maybe she's playing it up a little bit, knowing that Sansa is likely praying for a Stannis victory.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, cer- but, they're certainly in uh, a lot of danger. They are, and
1: but but no more danger than anybody else in the city, really.
0: True. Yeah. In fact, well, being uh, that they're uh, two incredibly highborn ladies, right. they they're probably more protected than anyone else in the city. Right. Right. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash You can find the link in our show notes.
1: In fact, Sansa's only real danger is from Cersei.
0: (laughs) And Sir (laughs) illion
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) So Sansa notices that the Kettleblacks are popular with the people, and she, but she, that makes her wonder why she'd never heard of them until Sir Osmond was named to the Kingsguard. And that is a very interesting and perceptive uh, observation.
0: It surely is. Because why typically the Kingsguard <laughs> are,
1: you know, they're, they're famous knights, you know.
0: Right. Renowned and they don't seem the to come from a lofty house. Yeah. You know, she's not heard of the Kettleblack house before. Yeah. So, and that's usually often something that's considered when, uh, you know, we're talking about spots on the king's guard. Right. So it it does and, make and, you wonder if uh, Cersei's ever stopped to wonder about them.
1: But you see, here's the thing I think about that. I think that for Cersei, that kind of low bondness, you know. Works in her favor. She's elevating them above what they should have realistically expected. It's the same with uh, what was the former leader of the Gold Cloaks,
0: Janus Slint.
1: Janus Slint. Same thing. You see, she, she elevated him so far above his station that he was completely loyal to her. She, you know, he yes, and I think that's the same thing with the Kettleblacks.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you keep, I keep sliding all around on. Your it's desk because there. someone from work keeps pinging me and it makes my phone
1: uh, vibrate and my phone slides.
0: <laughs> Go on DND <laughs> or just ignore them like it's one of my emails. <laughs> 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 so Cersei's told of the whole uh, wildfire success. You know, things are looking really bleak here and then she gets this good news that the wildfire pl- plot worked. The whole a Blackwater rush is a flame, and you know there's hundreds of ships on fire, but it it barely registers with her. Her response to the first two bits of news that she gets, which is the fleets are in, are battling, and then this wildfire success, her only response is, "And my son, right?" And sure, surely you can attribute some of that to a mother's love. But Let's hope so. we also have to remember that she thinks Tyrion is trying to get Joffrey killed. and Yes. And also, Tyrion also said the last time that the two of them, at least we saw the two of them, sit at dinner together, that he'd do terrible things to Tom and if anything happened to Aliyah. So, uh, you know, surely she's on edge about the fate of her firstborn son here. And it seems to be really all that she's concerned about at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think she isn't really afraid of Tyrion plotting against Joffrey. Joffrey's just out there in a battle in which thousands are going to die. He could be one of them, you know. She's just worried about yeah. him. I,
0: I, yeah, I, I, you think?
1: I, yeah, and to a certain extent, it, it is It is slightly strange because, of course, she's getting news of the battle so that she knows how much she should be worried and the news is fairly good you know like you say but once the news comes in whenever a messenger walks through the door the first thought is is he bringing me news about my son you know and that's kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. th- short circuiting the brain about you know sort of strategically how's it going
0: yeah that's a good point that's a good point as as a parent that would be your primary concern i guess but she does get some news that uh is disconcerting to her she finds out that the mud gate is under attack and uh, first of all that you know that's the the second most logical gate to be under attack the the king's gate was under attack ships had landed men on the torney grounds and so that's the king's gate is right there the mud gate faces out toward the harbor so that would be the the second yeah. most logical place
1: it's actually it's the mud gate is a, it's just a colloquial name for it right it's actually the river gate
0: yes Right. Yes, the river yes. gate. Right. And um, You know, that's basically the news of the Mudgate being under attack is pretty much the only new development we get about this battle.
1: Right, right. But 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 even that's barely a development because we knew that's where they were landing, right in front of right. the Mudgate. So of course the yes. Mudgate was under they weren't just sunning themselves on the beach.
0: Right. <laughs> and Tyrion, the, in the last Tyrion chapter, he told J- Jocelyn Bywater, well, he had a runner go tell him to sort out and remove those ships that he could see had just landed right. by the the harbor uh, because he saw shapes moving among the wharfs or something like that. Uh, okay. And he wanted to attack them before they got their land legs while they were still.
1: You see. He- I don't know. Strategically, I still think your advantage when you're holding a castle is being inside the castle. And going out uh-huh. the doors of the castle is imprudent. Stay where you are and just rain arrows down on them.
0: Rain right. Arrows
1: down on them, rain barrels of pitch down on yeah. them. Right. <laughs> don't ever open the doors because you open the doors, someone might get their foot in there.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's That could be a now, consequence of opening a door.
1: Exactly. Now <laughs> you've got 20-foot walls with a hole in them. <laughs>
0: all of that news about the mud gate aka river gate uh, causes her to want to command overrule Tyrion to have Joffrey pulled back into Maegor's holdfast because we know Joffrey as she knows Joffrey is at the trebuchets launching antler men into the river possibly over the river depending on uh, who 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 you're betting on yes (laughs) and you know, that's a risky move, because we and she know that many of these gold cloaks are sellswords, and they see the the king being whisked away right. to safety, but it that, might spook them a bit. Yes,
1: they're not getting updated on how the battle's going, but they see the king running for the hills?
0: <laughs> right. That's a
1: pretty good sign of how the battle's going.
0: Yes, it's a it's a risky move right there, and yeah. I think that that was what... Why Tyrion wanted him to stay out there, and uh, why Osmond tries to argue with him. Or it's Osfred. Osmond's the Osmond's with him. Actually, it's Osfred that tries to argue with her, and she says, "I don't care. It's my. You only listen to what I say." Yeah. <laughs> but he, she gets an update about Joffrey out by the uh, uh, out on the walls earlier in the chapter, and. <laughs> The update she gets is that uh, Joffrey spoke to the archers and gave them some tips on handling the crossbow. <laughs> and I thought, no wonder so many of Stannis's men got to the gates so quickly. <laughs>
1: no, to be fair, he he can shoot a cat. Remember, he shot cats. I mean,
0: he did, but it took him how many how well, many that's different? True. Uh... Yes, he wasn't very good at it. That's right.
1: Right. So Cersei has the grooms and manservant, maidservants who were stealing horses? Is that what they were stealing?
0: Yeah, they were Yeah, they were trying to take um, horses and flee, I think.
1: She has them beheaded by Ser Illyn, so Ser Illyn gets a little uh, break from the action to go and behead some people. Um, and Sansa, she tells Sansa that the only way to keep uh, loyalty amongst the people is they fear you more than they fear the enemy. Sansa won't be the same kind of queen, I feel.
0: Yes, uh, she thinks that too. She thinks... Yes. That she plans to make people love her if and when she's queen. And, you know, she was raised in Winterfell with Ned Stark as the benevolent overlord. Yes. And you you can't imagine Ned having loyalty issues with his household staff. True. Good point. Because they love him, right. not because they fear him. True,
1: true. Uh, but she will be, if she is ever queen, she will be Joffrey Baratheon's queen. and she might begin to realize how much the people hate her. The, the servants. By
0: association. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I, If I would, day one, I would say to the servants, will you just spit in his food, not the <laughs> food? <laughs> because...
0: Not the. His.
1: <laughs> so... Uh... Oh, yeah. So, so there, there is one man present, actually. Apart, I mean, Cyrillian Payne is present, but there's also Giles Rosby's here. I, I'd, right. I'd, I'd yes. forgotten that he was amongst them. But he's passed out drunk in his food, and Cersei's disgusted. And and I think her disgust goes to this feeling of she should be out there fighting. She's like, he should definitely be out there fighting. <laughs> right. drunk in here. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think she says something like, the gods' wasted manhood on that one. Right. Something like that. <laughs> and then she says, I must have uh, been crazy to uh, demand his release. Right. And Just one more mouth to feed. <laughs> what she's referring to is when Tyrion took him captive, when uh, Jocelyn Bywater took Tommen off him and Sir uh, Boris Blunt, and then Tyrion thinks to himself, to, that we get to hear during his chapter, that he held on to Lord Rosby simply so that he could offer to free him as a bargaining chip with Cersei. Right. Right. So she's thinking, what did I bother making that deal for? (laughs) (laughs) If she
1: thought that through, she would have recognized that wasn't much of a bargaining chip that Tyrion was holding, and he'd be left holding him. So... There are rich merchants and noblemen sort of at the gate looking for refuge. Cersei says, send them away and kill, them if, uh, kill some of them if needed. Uh, <laughs> so the way Joffrey treats the small folk is not purely <laughs> an invention of the child. Some of it, right, the apple yes. didn't fall that far from the tree.
0: Yes, and considering what we've seen Gregor, uh, Clegane, the Hound's older brother, do on behalf of Cersei's father Tywin, Likely, Cersei got this uh, point of view on treating the small folk from yeah. her father. So, yeah. so then, the, the one true action moment of the whole chapter is when Cersei says,
1: I know all about your treasons in the godswood. Which, of course, is a heart-stopping moment for the reader and Sansa. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure
0: it was. <laughs> because
1: <laughs> that is exactly what she was doing in the godswood. <laughs> right. But Cersei is... She's not even on a fishing expedition. She's just accidentally dropping a fishing line into the pond here because Sansa almost gives herself up. She's almost like, really? You saw me the (laughs) Zadaltus? It'd be be funny if she could be think on her feet and she's like, you know about me and Tyrion plotting against you? I knew it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, you know, Yes, it must be an incredibly heart-stopping moment because she just saw how Cersei dealt with traitors. <laughs> tr- just three people traitors trying who to stole steal a horse, not the kingdom. Yes. <laughs> and and like in the next few minutes, uh Sir Ilian's going to come over. His bl- his sword Ice still dripping wet with the blood of the tr- traitors that he just beheaded.
1: I know he's used it a lot more than anybody else in these books, but I'm not ready to call it his sword yet. Okay.
0: Just True, careful. it's not. I, I agree. <laughs> it's not his sword. But he, you know, she thinks to herself, No, this this can't be. My Florian would never fail me. And I thought, has she met Sir Dantas? <laughs> yeah. Does he seem like the never fail me type? <laughs>
1: If, if that's what that's what Sansa should say in her defense, my Florian will never fail me. That would clear Sedanta straight away.
0: <laughs> yes. No one would be looking at him. <laughs> yeah, it does probably did wake her up a bit to realize that this Florian Jonquil game that they're playing does have real stakes. Like this oh, isn't a, a fantasy story oh, yeah. here.
1: Yeah, which is which is why I got so annoyed in the last chapter when they were in the Godswood because they were just doing nothing. They are just meeting right. up and wasting time and bringing suspicion on themselves.
0: Right. Yeah, you knew what the consequences were. Right. Um, so
1: Il- Ilium Payne is there for for us. The us being Cersei and Sansa.
0: And um, Sansa goes, uh, us? <laughs> us? Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Which, of course, we surmised last Sansa chapter, yeah. or possibly we already knew. But With know. me, it's always surmise, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so let's think about this plan for a second here. So she's just going to, Cersei, when I say she, I mean Cersei, is just going to kill herself and then leave Joff to his fate? Well, he'll I mean, be in there with her by that time, I would imagine. <laughs> I guess. So you'd think that he is part of the us. Yes. Going to take all yes. three of us out here. Right.
1: Again, I would draw lots for who goes first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, but like, you know, the the chapter ends with the line, the Starks will have no joy. From the fall of House Lannister, which is how we opened our uh, discussion here, and like you said, I think that fits with what we know about Cersei.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that she would she would try to pull this down with her. You know, in fact, right. if she gave herself up to Stannis, it might be to stab Stannis and then get killed. You know, right? Yeah. So no more Baratheons, <laughs> no more Lannisters. Oh, and I'll take out Sansa <laughs> while I'm at it. You know. <laughs> So do you have some background for us?
0: I managed to cobble together a little. I knew you would. Like you said. Thanks to uh, George Martin throwing down the gauntlet of, uh, go ahead, <laughs> try and make an episode out of this <laughs> chapter. I managed to find something, I think. So uh, I think we were talking about it earlier, Earlier that Sansa's heard around the castle that Sir... Oh, we weren't talking about this earlier. But Sansa has heard around the castle that Sir Osmond Kettleblack... Is as big and strong as the hound, but faster and younger, and so has replaced him as the king's personal protector. Now, this part we had talked about earlier. Um, Sansa wonders why it is that if he is such a wonderful warrior, she's never heard of him or his brothers before Osmond had been named to the uh, Kingsguard. Well, he'd not be the first knight to join the Kingsguard with little I to no see reputation preceding him. <laughs> in fact, uh, the initial iteration of King the I's Kingsguard had several of such members. After the uh, misunderstood end of his uncle King Magor's reign, he was faced with a Kingsguard shortage. His uncle's five remaining Kingsguard were offered to take the Black, and four of them did. One died in a trial by combat, so young King Jeharis had basically to start from scratch. He nabbed Sir Giles Morgan as his Lord Commander of the King's Guard, and to make peace with the Faith of the Seven, he offered a white cloak to Sir Joffrey Doggett of the Warrior's Sons. That left the king with five empty slots. It was decided that the spots would be filled through a test of arms dubbed the War for the White Cloaks. Hundreds of knights competed, but in the end five were left standing. The youngest of the five was known as Pate the Woodcock, and he claimed to be a knight, but questions arose as to the validity of that claim. Sir Joffrey Doggett was so impressed by the young man's fighting skill that he himself officially knighted Pate, making him Sir Pate Woodcock of the King's Guard.
1: Very good. Thank you. Yeah, I... Certainly comparison with the television show uh, this was more captured than i recalled but hey we all know about that um, and <laughs> cersei complains about her lot versus jamie's that that part is pretty much verbatim she talks to shay and almost busts shay she almost figures out who she is she engages her and shay curtsies and she does such a bad job of curtsying and she picks up her accent she writes she says you're from Lorath. Yeah, which is where Shay is supposedly from in the show. And um, right. so she, and she said, How long have you been in Westeros? And she says, Ten years. She said, So you've gone from being, you know, new to Westeros ten years ago, to being a handmaiden in the Red Keep and you haven't learned how to curtsy? Oh. Tell me the tell me your story. And it's at Uh-oh. that point that um the news of the battle comes in the door and saves Shay from having to explain it.
0: She would have been like, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, was, you yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> um, the,
1: the news from the battle comes in for, uh, courtesy of Lancel. He's uh, being the runner. He takes the place of the cattle blacks here. Um, okay. She orders Lancel to send Geoffrey to his chambers. He says, here? And she's like, no, not here, scared with the women, to his chambers. You know, equally af- far from the battle, but, you know, not, right, not in the right, room. Right, right,
0: right,
1: <laughs> right. Um, the news of the battle is just too ominous for her, so she wants him, uh, Joffrey, out of the battle. Lancel does briefly try to object in the same way the Kettleblacks do, but she shouts him down, and Lancel scurries right. off to uh, do her bidding. Um, yeah. But yes, everything else is uh, as as it is. Sir Ilan is brought forward and grins maniacally at the prospect of <laughs> chopping their heads off. You know. Uh
0: huh. So pedantry, you've got some pedantry. I've got a little bit. I went back and forth about whether I considered it pedantry or not, but I thought I would bring it up. Why not? We can discuss it and see whether it is. So toward the end of the chapter after the food is is done, many of the guests ask to leave to go to the sept. Now of course we're talking the royal sept. Surely they're not going to the outside of the Red Keep to the Great Sept of Baylor, that was Yes, be.
1: through the through the throngs amassed at the door trying to get in. Yeah, not a good plan. Yes. No,
0: probably not. But still the royal sept is outside of Megor's holdfast. Right. We know this because Sansa came from that royal sept and had to get across the drawbridge into the holdfast.
1: Where Lollys so, wouldn't wouldn't cross, yes. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So isn't but isn't the whole point of this gathering to shelter in Megor's holdfast until the battle ends? Right. And right. they go scurrying off in all directions to right. to pray and who knows what. So. Yeah. But then within that penitry Oh, go on Well, there is a sort of like a
1: succession of things though There's the city, the city walls could hold The city walls failed, then the Red Keep could hold And if the Red Keep doesn't hold, Magos Holdfast could hold So you would have time perhaps to go from
0: Yes, that is why I debated whether or not to call this Uh, penitry I'm with you though,
1: I'm with you What's, you know, it's, it's dubious but I will, the, I will allow it as
0: pedantry. Well done. All right. The other bit uh, within this larger pedantry is the Stokeworth fled. Don't they recall the trouble getting lollies across the bridge the first time? No. I missed that. Do they that. want to do that again with Baratheon uh, men at their backs?
1: <laughs> God, That's why Shay's still there. She's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you're on your own you're on your own I'm mixing up TV show and book
0: now alright right, right, right. (laughs) right,
1: news and notes come on tell me what these news and notes are about
0: news and notes we've got a new book coming in 2022 Uh, this year George Martin has announced that you will have a new A Song of Ice and Fire book in your hands by this October
1: I I take it all back George for all the things I said about you I take it all back
0: it is not Winds of Winter, unfortunately. Oh, I,
1: I, I untake it all back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the book is called Rise of the Dragon, and in Martin's own words from his blog, um, the difference between it and A Fire and Blood is think of the Rise of the Dragon as a deluxe reference book. You should see Simon's face. <laughs> <laughs> think of the Rise of the Dragon as a deluxe reference book with 180 illustrations new illustrations at that and i will say what he showed on his blog i'll i'm going to paste in here uh one of the uh, the picture of the american cover because there's a different cover for the um american book version and the uk book version i'm going to paste it into the bottom page of our notes so you can see it this
1: is podcast gold
0: by the way yes yeah everybody else can Go to our uh, there, b- bottom page and go to our discord page i uh I posted it there as well. That's a pretty cool book cover, is it not? It's got this awesome is- blerian looking dragon uh, yeah, sticking yeah. through this fire it's uh it looks pretty neat actually but
1: oh, I know who Elio Garcia and Linda antonson are they've been right? bugging me in videos for months. <laughs> Aren't they the ones who pop up on a wiki of Ice and Fire all the time?
0: <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. They they run a wiki of Ice and Fire. So. Oh, they do?
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yes. So I guess it makes sense that they pop up there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned those two because um, Martin goes on to say that the, the, <laughs> this book, The Rise of the Dragon, covers the same time frame as Fire and Blood, but it'll be more... <laughs> Simon's face is cracking me up. But it'll be more encyclopedic in nature than a fire and blood. That's what we needed. He he compares it to a world of ice and fire, which Elio and Linda were heavily involved in the creation of. And um, they joined Martin for this effort as well. So that's why you saw their names there on the cover.
1: Uh, Don't you feel like they're I mean, look, Elio and, and Linda seem like very nice people, and I don't mean to badmouth them. But aren't they traitors to the cause here?
0: They need to keep him on
1: task. Exactly. The last thing we need is anyone planting ideas in George Martin for something else to do. He'll do anything but write this book. He's drawn maybe. 180 pictures.
0: <laughs> maybe they—they're saying, "Hey, we got you. Focus on the writing. We'll focus on the rise of the dragon." Uh, maybe. Anyway, so if that's, they're, if they're you know, pitching to him,
1: we, I'm annoyed. No.
0: <laughs> Last week we had so much news and notes. This is all I've got for this week. The
1: only reason that we haven't had George Martin on here is because we don't want to waste his time.
0: Right. We yes. he, are keeps, it... he keeps asking us to come on, exactly. and we keep saying, "George, focus. You've got one <laughs> yeah. task.
1: You can come on to announce the date of release. <laughs> right. Then, then you can come on our show." <laughs> Oh, all man. right, let's draw a line under this one. So Cersei's still not full of confidence about success, but she is full of wine, no? <laughs> she
0: is. <laughs> and apparently uh, she is a, uh, a, the kind of drunk that gets really worried about. She's a, she's a worried <laughs> drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's not a everything's going to be all right kind of drunk.
1: So Sansa, Sansa and- gets a mostly accurate third-hand summary of the battle, including a little bit of an update that the Mudgate is now under duress. Um
0: yeah, and it's basically the third time we've heard these details of yeah. this battle. Yeah, There's really been no new development since right. Davos basically was telling us what he saw. And Tyrion, the only news that Tyrion added was that the Kingsgate was under uh, attack. And the only news we got this time is that the mudgate is officially under attack, which we kind of guessed kinda was knew. happening right. because they had landed men on the wharfs in right. front of the mudgate.
1: It would be a long run around the castle to find a different gate,
0: <laughs> right? When there's yes. one
1: sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, she gets some somewhat drunken lessons in responsibilities and duties of a queen from Cersei, which are not one she needs to remember for the long haul. I feel. All, right. Although recognizing the strengths of a woman in this society probably will be useful to Sansa in,
0: right. yeah, in some yeah, ways. Yeah. But... She's, yeah, yeah. You know, we really dig into Cersei's psyche in this chapter. We get some really good insight into what makes her tick and influences her to act and think the way she does and possibly why she's such an angry,
1: yeah. vengeful
0: person. And like I said earlier, it's it's really the closest thing we've gotten to a Cersei POV yeah. chapter. Yeah, and I can tell you, as the as the always sober person in the room, uh, <laughs> the more people drink, the more their internal POV comes out. Comes ex- Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So I can but, tell you that's pretty legit. <laughs> yeah, but Cersei, true to
1: herself, she can't give good advice without peppering it with horror stories to horrify the demor- and demoralize her listeners. So she, she gives right. Sansa plenty of those, too. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and and Sedontis is not out fighting. He's here entertaining the ladies. That's good.
0: That's right. He's riding around on his uh, wooden horse, uh-huh. chasing uh-huh. the ladies.
1: I, I'm not really <laughs> sure how his plan to rescue Sansa is being aided and abetted by this,
0: but they are in the same room. So, <laughs> Right. Maybe it'll lead to something that we uh, haven't uh, yes. noticed yet. But, you know, like you were saying at the beginning of the conclusion here that Cersei's not really full of confidence about the, about the Lannister success here. And, you know, with most stories, you assume that these kind of primary characters are fairly safe. But the wisdom of killing off Edard Ned Stark, the top POV character in a Game of Thrones, is that from then on...
1: Nobody's safe. Right. Nobody's safe. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, you, uh, the, did you say, uh, you said something at the beginning of that that I wanted to comment on, something like it, traditionally or normally or something like that. This book yeah, is most the,
0: stories. Yeah.
1: The only counterexample. It's the only one ever <laughs> where you've not thought the lead characters will get through this.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> you just assume that they're all on death row, every one of them. So, yes. Yes,
0: I, yeah. Yeah, doing that—that I mean, that one move right there, killing uh, off the primary character from that book.
1: Yeah,
0: who—who's to say that uh, you know we probably consider Tyrion the primary character from this book? He's had the most who's chapters. Say he's yeah, he's not going to die in next chapter. Danger.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Cersei, she's not even a POV character. She's barely right. wallpaper at this point.
0: <laughs> she could easily be fodder. Exactly. <laughs>
1: All right, there are three ways that you could help us. You could go out and leave us a review. There's no better advertising than that. Secondly, you could buy some merchandise at ghostsofharonhall.threadless.com. Or you can buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash uh you, you can even become a sustainer there and join the others who've done so. Big thank you to those sustainers.
0: Absolutely. And I put out a few new uh, designs on our threadless shop that include the t-shirt you showed me (laughs) it did (laughs) stacy said nobody's gonna buy that nobody's gonna walk around wearing that it's a tough
1: sell but it is really funny
0: (laughs) (laughs) i made myself laugh and i believe i
1: made you laugh (laughs) oh for sure i'm gonna get a copy of that t-shirt it's awesome but it is a tough sell because you wouldn't want to wear it to like thanksgiving
0: no, maybe no. well, maybe Thanksgiving since it's all friends and family.
1: True, true. Not a you job. You wouldn't interview. want to
0: wear Yes, yes, or your first day at work at a new job.
1: <laughs> uh, well, go go uh, to well, Com to see the new t-shirt. You you'll get a kick uh, out right. of it.
0: And as always, you can reach us at ghost Heronhell at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall or on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and please come join us in the discussion on, Dis- on yeah. Discord. We have so much fun there. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.